0: Ready?
1: I'm ready. Yeah. You?
0: Yeah. Sure, sure. All
1: right. Here we go. Hi.
0: Oh, Oh, I was going to say, don't count down.
1: I don't count down. That's a Thomas thing.
0: Oh, that's, you know, it's so like 2013. He he insists on counting down.
1: That's funny. How about if I just start the way Ben starts a conversation? Hey. Hey. (laughs) Right. hey how's it going
0: it's going well how's it going for you <laughs> you millennials with your with your how's it going thing
1: what does that mean
0: what I, exactly what does that mean how's it going I, I i don't know how's it going
1: how is that different than what's up is that what you gen xers say
0: what's uh that? i i well, technically i'm on the barrier but i think we said um what do we say you said what's up. How's it how's it hanging? How's how's it going? No, you did no. not
1: say well how's it hanging? That's what Zach Morris said <laughs> in "Say by the Bell. Do you even know what yeah. Save by the Bell is?
0: I, I didn't watch it because I didn't watch "Say by the Bell, but yes, that's that's what we said. Like, how's it hanging? And and that was our, our thing.
1: And how is, is that different than how's it going? It's the same thing. But I mean think about
0: that phrase, how's it going? Like how's
1: it hanging? Okay, think about the sexual <laughs> intonation to <laughs> exactly, <Matt.
0: laughs> but how's it going like what is what does that mean you know like going where like I don't know how, i mean it's it's going positively like
1: <laughs> forward <laughs>
0: forward it's not we're not going to the past Cyclical. hopefully if we're going to the past, you know well it could happen i don't know
1: that's interesting now, i guess i usually i used to say what's up what's up what's up
0: right and and this
1: guy and people yeah that was a big joke
0: those guy right what's up dog time for you go to watch
1: yeah i mean seriously every greeting that we have has some kind of counter greeting (laughs) (laughs) or or
0: hello like that could work i said hey so i i wonder in our culture when do we want when like salutation wise you know, like when you write a letter, you say "Dear Mister So and So," right? Mm-hmm. And this, of course, precedes. Well, podcasting.
1: now, but you know, if you look at epistle writing, that's not what you say.
0: Oh well, I mean, God, I mean, yeah, of course. I'm I'm talking about like contemporary American culture, like 20th century American culture. Okay. You would say, "Dear Mariana Neely Harrelson, "Dear Reverend Mariana Neely Harrelson uh how are you i you
1: probably would not use the person's first name i mean if we're going to be
0: right uh, uh, uh dear reverend harrelson right right uh so I-, I wonder what the transition to like hey like how that happened because to me hey seems like very familial like that's something that my daughters or or you could say to me or, or you know just a stranger on the street but like when I when I'm talking to someone on the phone, they're like, hey, Sam, like that seems so in- informal in a weird way, if that makes sense, especially if it's a, like a client relationship.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because usually when I'm introducing myself to someone, I'll say, hey, I'm Marianna Harrelson.
0: Great. You know,
1: So I'll add, I'll say, hey, but I'll also add an identifier. And a lot of times I say this even to people who I knew, I know who they are because I've been married to you long enough to realize there are lots of people who don't remember people's names. No offense, but you don't.
0: No, I don't. <laughs> That's why.
1: <laughs> so I give my name again.
0: Right, right. So, but uh, but b- b- why hey? Like, when I answer the phone, I don't say, hey, this is Sam. And you just
1: say, this is Sam, don't you? No, I'll
0: say, like, you know, hello, this is Sam Harrelson. Or ahoy hoy, <laughs> like Mr. Burns. No, I don't.
1: What up?
0: What up, hey. dog? No. uh, But, I, I I mean, not to be an elitist here, but, like, when did that transition occur? Like, was it in the 80s, 90s when we went from, you know, hello, the Harrelson residence to, hey, what's up?
1: Oh, this is so funny. So growing up, of course, we didn't have cell phones and you would have to call somebody's house, right? But I mean, we would make phone dates still at school. We'll say, oh, I'll call you after basketball practice or something like that, which we knew to mean it was like 630 or 8, you know? But it was so funny, my friends who were raised to identify themselves. Hey, this is Courtney. How can I help you? Or who would you like to talk to? Or, you know, or this is the Harrelson resident. May I ask who's calling, please? It's so funny how different households taught their kids to answer the phone.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. So, for did me- you
1: have, yeah, I was going to say, did you, you had to have had something.
0: Well, I had a weird family. I mean, you know that. I was an only kid. I grew up in Mullins, South Carolina. I'm sure
1: you created something, though. You created something. I created
0: something. So, you know what I created? I convinced my father, my dad, who I love, to (laughs) get a fax line in, like, 1985 (laughs) or 6, the year that you were born. Right. And
1: Because you were conducting your business via fax? Why would you convince him to get a fax? Oh, no, to get the internet.
0: Well, close, not yet. But so he, I was like, our, you know, like MHS age. I was like eight, nine. No, all seven. But I, I convinced my father to uh, to get a, a a separate line for the fax. And when he wasn't using it for his fax machine, which I convinced him to buy when I was buying a new computer in nineteen, <laughs> was, I think it was nineteen eighty six, nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. So yeah, I was like eight or nine. So I mean, you can totally see MH doing this to me now, right? Like like when we go to Best Buy and she's like, "Dad, I don't really want that computer, but like that computer, I could totally see me using. Uh, you know, I I, I could totally At do this.
1: I mean, I would write stories. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna write stories. I, I'm gonna do yeah.
0: summer math, and and I can I can Facetime you from this. I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you should totally buy me this iPad, Dad. So yeah. <laughs> I convinced my dad to buy me this great computer, like top of the line computer. I'll never forget. At a, at a computer store in Florence, South Carolina. And also a fax machine. Because I thought, okay, if we get a fax machine, he's got to put a, a telephone line in my room beside the computer. Because he'd already said, like, well, okay, I'll, I'll get a computer and put it in your room. You're like, you're of that age. Which, looking back, like,
1: God, God no. Holy crap.
0: <laughs> right, but but that's awesome. So
1: I mean, our kid, she's nine. She has a Chromebook, but. She's eight she's almost nine she's october
0: right but i mean we're like
1: three months away let's she's had a crime
0: since she was four though i mean let's not beat around the bush the the burning bush so i I convinced my dad to do this with the idea that i wanted to call my girlfriends and i wanted them to be able to call me without my parents you know having, having to go through that filter because we all know, I mean, I, I remember because at that
1: day and time you couldn't have a fax machine without having a phone connected to it as well.
0: Right, right. And and my yeah. dad is kind of like me now. Like he he worked from home. He had a he had an office, whatever. But you know, like he was an entrepreneurial guy, and and I I was
1: you convinced him it would be good for his business. I'm sure exactly.
0: <laughs> I was like you have to fax things, right? Like you should get a fax machine. Put it put a new line in my room. And we can hook that up to that. Computer I mean, I'll just I'll just
1: take care of the fax machine in my room, and then I won't touch it. I'll, I'll I mean, I'll it. be at school, so you'll be able to use it. Yeah, yeah,
0: right. Uh, so we got four six four six seven seven seven, which is a That's great okay.
1: number.
0: So I had all these girlfriends throughout middle school, high school, and they would call me.
1: And it would seem like you had your private line, and they and I had a private so line. Cool. I, I was oh. like, I was like,
0: love line, but I, I never called my girlfriends because if you, you know, if I called my girlfriend in high school or middle school, you have to go through the family thing where it's like, oh, hi, yeah, is Jill there? Yeah, Jill's having dinner right now, and it's like, yes. oh, sorry, okay, well, uh, tell her, hey, and I'm her eighth grade boyfriend, and uh, this is all good. Sam
1: called. Okay, bye.
0: Yep. <laughs> so i didn't have to go through that and it was great and i okay, still operate so, like like that as we okay. talked about today on via text
1: yes i have a uh, so we had a, a separate line too because we did have the internet uh when i was growing up and in middle school i can remember this and and so we had the family comput- wait wait
0: what what year did your family get the internet
1: i don't you'd have to ask an older sibling i'm not a good person I, to it i ask think it's that.
0: fat. your dad like bought domains All of the family members in the 90s,
1: which
0: (laughs) your dad was way ahead.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. My dad definitely kept up with all things tech. And we had a family computer way before a lot of my friends did. Yeah. And we we had the Internet.
0: I mean, I I love your family. I love our family. But like (laughs) that's one of the things that that always boggles my mind because your family was on the Web like you all were interacting with stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. But but. See, in my family, at least, there was kind of a separation of church and education. And so the idea that we could do things on the Internet to do research for school and that kind of thing, as well as do word processing for papers and those kinds of things, was really important to my family. Also, books. We had all kinds of books in our house. Classics. And I mean, I didn't read like romance novels like maybe some middle school or high school girls did, but there was definitely an emphasis on education and anything that would benefit that was upheld. I mean, art history, studying art history, studying ancient Greece, studying mythology, all of that thing, all of that fell into education. And so that was kind of a different experience than church.
0: That's so So, fascinating.
1: Yeah. So for me, it was a very strange disconnect because I was encouraged to think, to ask questions, to challenge in school. But once I got to church and I started implementing some of those same things – this researching and you know inquisitive kind of things that was kind of shut down well and, and so it's strange
0: yeah it is and that's one of the reasons i really do love my parents because they they put a computer in my room very early and they were like yeah go nuts and oh here's the internet in 1989 um and i, I remember the day the web came online basically in 1992 1993 for for me uh but but I guess to step back, like when I had that phone line in 1988, 1989, 1990, and I'm in middle school, early middle school, like sixth, seventh grade, and I'm talking to my girlfriends on the phone, like we used to like fall asleep talking to each other on the phone. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, okay, so here's a key difference. So in my family, we were not allowed to have TVs in our rooms. We were not allowed to have computers in our rooms. Our computer sat in the family area right next to my parents' bedrooms. So we were encouraged to have access, but it was um, monitored access <laughs> for sure. In the same way, you know, our, my parents knew when I was on the phone and they – I knew when I, wa- I couldn't talk anymore, like 10 o'clock or something like that. I can't remember what it was at this time. So there is a difference in the way that we experienced it. So we had those things, but they were monitored pretty closely.
0: Oh, really? Well I mean which is what most parents should and and still sure
1: do. I mean don't we, we I talk mean that's, that's what screen time. we have right we we talk about screen time we talk about docking stations at night, so you have to plug in in this docking station and all devices have to stay here for the night you've heard about this, right
0: <laughs> yes, I have
1: <laughs> so anyway
0: should I, I share my feelings on that or should I keep that private?
1: I mean you can if you want to
0: I had a computer in my room again since I was like <laughs> six or seven I and I, I had a set of encyclopedias before that
1: <laughs> where you could find out everything you wanted to find out
0: and I used to wake up at like 2 a.m and, and read the world book encyclopedia entry on chivalry and
1: that's such a weird thing to read about but okay no it's not
0: yeah. I mean well yeah it is but you know, you you would hear something like you're you're watching a movie and you hear the word chivalry and you're like, what the hell does that mean? So for me, like, access to information should not be forbidden. Yes, you you should make sure that your kids and and you and I disagree on this and I, I'm I'm not saying I'm right. <laughs> I'm just putting my my uh, my uh, opinion out there. The the idea that. You would you would tell someone, especially especially your child, like, no, you can't go look up the word chivalry if you're thinking about it at 2 a.m. Like, I have problems with that. And for me, the web is an information to, like delivery system. Of course, it's a social interaction system. Uh, of course, it's it's got a whole bunch of other things attached to it, and you know, there's you know, bad stuff and, and good stuff and all that. But that's a parenting situation. And that's up to you as a parent to say, hey, don't don't be a jerk. <laughs> like, Don't, you know, if you're eight, like you don't need to go look at Twitter. If you're eight, like, eh, come on. You, you, I, you're not mature yet, but you've got a basic idea of humanity. And I trust you enough to say, here's a computer. If you have a question about something and you want to look it up, and you feel like you can find that information online, go for it. Here's some guidelines I'm going to give you. I'm not going to say that you can't use it for this amount of time. If you're sitting in your room and that's all you're doing, then yes, I'm going to pull you out of your room. But same thing with baseball cards or comic books or, or whatever. You know, like, I mean, any type of, of medium It's easy to get lost in as a kid. And I used to do that with baseball cards, and I did that uh, did that with with notebooks, and I did that with comic books, and I see my daughters now doing the same thing with notebooks and comic books, and creating stores and making business cards, and doing the same types of things that I used to do. And I think that's wonderful, but you know, it, it, it's like it's like when you try to prune a great myrtle tree, you know, and and you want the crepe myrtle tree to look this way. And it doesn't always look that way, but you you, you keep pruning it to try to get it to that point. And at a certain point, you realize well, that that great myrtle tree is not going to look that way.
1: It's not going to work, yeah.
0: Right. And uh, but it's a beautiful tree, and I, I I applaud that tree for being beautiful. So I'm going to try to you know clean it up and prune it and help it grow as best as I can and have a good life. And for me, that's what childhood and and being a parent means. And and I know that's a terrible probably you know, Uber, uh, bad Freudian, whatever full call type parenting model. But that, that's what parenting means for me. It's like, let's guide our kids. Let's, let's show them and let's exhibit positive uses of the internet and, and uses of being outside and uses of not getting skin cancer from going outside and laying out in the sun for 13 hours, you know, all that stuff. Like let's, let's, uh, Let's model that as, as best as we can, and let's not impose on our kids the same fears that we have.
1: Yeah, and let's not impose on our kids the same restrictions that we had growing up for a world that's not going to exist for them, doesn't exist for them.
0: Right, and, and let's not impose on our kids the same religion that we had and the same religion that I grew up with. I mean, both of us grew up in Southern Baptist conservative households, and that's okay, and I still love that. I, still, I I mean, I talk to you, I talk to, you know, my, my friends, and we talk about this on Thinking Religion all the time. Like, I consider myself an evangelical. Like, I'm still a conservative guy. <laughs> I'm okay with a lot that goes on. Um, and, and I uphold people as individuals, and I trust in their judgment. For me, there are certain things that don't work. But still, there's this core of me that's there. Then I'm not sure that a lot of people who think they know me but don't really know me would agree with, if that makes sense. Um, So let's let's not try to impose that onto other people. And I I think that's what Jesus was talking about.
1: Yeah, and I think – I don't know. I mean a lot of times we forget that Jesus was an apocalyptic preacher. He did not think that the world was going to continue as it was. And so for us to think that as Jesus was teaching, he was teaching about a world that would go on and on and on, probably isn't correct, wouldn't you say?
0: No, I mean, Jesus, I mean, from what we can tell from the New Testament, historically, uh, whatever that means, uh, yes, I mean, Jesus thought the world was ending next, like, I mean, not not next Tuesday, no, he, it, 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 imminent, like, it's going to happen. Yeah. At any moment, and your ethics, the way you, you you control yourself, the way you comport yourself in public, has to do directly with your realization that the kingdom is imminent. And if you don't comport yourself in a certain way, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. That doesn't mean that it's here. That means that it's imminent and it's coming. And if you're not there, and and participating in the kingdom ethics, which means loving everybody radically, which means giving away all your goods, which means all these other things on top of it that, I mean, we can go to, we don't have to go go into. Uh, But as an evangelical Christian, uh, for me, that means the kingdom is at hand. And if you're not radically living that, then you're not going to get in. Um,
1: Right. And so, no, don't take time to go bury your father because there's not time. There's not time. right? And so when so, you have that worldview and that world perspective, then really doesn't matter how much screen time your kids have each day. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, so, I, I enjoy,
0: I joy watching the Chicago Cubs. It's a, it's a guilty pleasure. I shouldn't be watching the Chicago Cubs. I should be, I shouldn't be podcasting with you. I should be out there furthering the kingdom of God. Uh, people like Martin Luther King, I think get that Gandhi, you know, like <laughs> those types of people that we lift up and we say, And I'm saying Gandhi was a Christian, but I'm saying Gandhi as a, you know, person who understood the Godhead. uh, Those people that that are able to tap into this sort of eschatological imperative say, hey, this is going to get real very quickly. And you've got to get yourself together. And you can complain about the chips at Applebee's all you want, but these nacho chips mean nothing. Like, stop fixating on that. Stop fixating on the color of your dress. Stop post, you know posting on facebook whatever um, you know so you, you you get that eschatological imperative and then for, you know jesus said it was imminent then you get paul you know 20 years later 30 years later who says well um it it's not happening tomorrow but it's going to happen next tuesday so if you're married stay married if you're single stay single if you're uh you know jew stay jew if you're greek stay greek whatever like it doesn't matter about that and we, we like to twist that around. And then 20 years later, we get the Gospels, which kind of say, well, um, it, it, he's not coming back next Tuesday, but it, you know, maybe next week, maybe next month. We're not really sure, but it, it's going to happen. And then we get kind of this long period of, of Christian theology and Christian, Christian uh, eschatological, uh, eschatological thought where we don't know what to do because Jesus did not come back. Yet, maybe. And we're kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah. clown to the left of me, jokers to the right, and here I am stuck in the middle with you.
1: (laughs) But I do think that there's also something in the current discussion about privilege and entitlement that has to do with this conversation, too. And so because you're not worried about where your next meal is going to come from or where you're going to sleep tonight in the blazing heat, you can worry about your kid's screen time. I'm going to worry about feeding my kids. And figuring out what they're going to wear because their shoes don't work anymore, they got holes in them, and I got to figure that out, and so there's a luxury and a privilege to having the discussions that a lot of us have about our kids and how we parent our kids that many people aren't afforded and so sometimes I feel like by engaging in those conversations I, you know I'm perpetuating a privilege that I don't necessarily want to perpetuate
0: yeah I mean and and there's that notion of of privilege. Associated with all of this. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, and, and, and not, not to throw shade on parenting blogs and, and evangelical blogs and thought leaders, but there's so much of that and it, it's hard to, to work around.
1: It is. It is because as someone who has privilege, you know, we have a great house and a great life that we're able to podcast on a Friday night together. You know it, it's hard to engage in some of these discussions in a way that doesn't feel privileged. <laughs> so, but the going ba- going back, I wanted to make a point to your first point about greetings.
0: <laughs> I want to make a point to your second point.
1: I don't remember what your second point was at this point.
0: Exactly, I win. <laughs>
1: Oh, okay. So going back to greeting. So recently, the three kids and I, while you were working, um, were able to go to church for the first time where I wasn't participating in the morning services. And it was kind of a a radical experience for me as someone who's been in the pulpit every Sunday or been involved in some sort of Sunday activities for who knows how well, like three and a half years, four years, long time. But it was a a congregation that I was familiar with, that we had partnered with in my capacity as pastor, and where I knew a lot of people. So we went to this service. The girls had gone to Vacation Bible School there. You know, we had a lot of connections to the congregation, but a lot of the people who were in the congregation didn't know that we had connections to the congregation, right? So they were meeting us for the first time. So here we are. Three kids and a mom, arguably a very um, needed or desired demographic for a church, right? Young professional, family, (laughs) those kinds of things. This is what churches are looking for. And we were greeted so warmly. But in another sense, we were greeted again and again and again and again and again and again. You know, so we, we would get settled into our pew, and then somebody else would come and introduce themselves, which was wonderful. But at the same time, you know, you were we were just getting everybody settled, and this person, this child, had this, and this, and then we would have to, oh, hello, it's good to see you. Yes, this is such and such, and you know, so I I wonder, and the conversation of churches, especially in the Baptist world, about what it means to be welcoming and. We can talk about opening and affirming at a different time. But what it means to be welcoming, I wonder what that really means to a lot of congregations. Because does it mean introducing yourself over and over again to visitors? Because sometimes that can be overwhelming. Or does welcoming mean allowing someone to come in, be greeted by someone, and then kind of settle in? I don't know if this is interesting to you. Perhaps it's not, but...
0: It is it is uh, one one of the things that I've I've always looked at when when I've kind of tried out a church which is you know terrible but
1: I am you know I moved
0: around South Carolina Connecticut in uh, North Carolina you know back to South Carolina and one of the things I've always really not liked <laughs> that churches do is, is the passing of the peace
1: oh yes
0: because i'm I'm an introvert, and for me like I'm not there to be welcomed i'm i'm not I don't go to a church service and and I've thought this since college and i i mean ask my my roommate Ryan, who you know you know well but i I love to death and we're still good buddies, and he's a lutheran uh so he 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 and I kind of jive on this I don't want to speak for him but uh, we, we would have frequent conversations about this, but we would go and we would try out churches where we went to college and we would try out churches here where we live now. And the, the passing of the peace thing, which I, I respect and I, I understand the purpose, but it, it seems like it's such an imposition on on what you're there for. Like, it, it, it's it's an it's a missional thing you know it's like hey we're welcoming you into our church okay fine I'm not here to be welcomed I'm here to worship God and to put this in the middle of a worship service we have and to it, stand up and go and shake somebody's hand and say hi here's my name yeah hi how you doing right yeah it's hot outside right I know yeah this like good God that's not what you're there for in my mind and I understand why churches do it. I totally do. And I think So it's,
1: let's let's talk about that. Why do churches do that?
0: Because, because people like to be welcomed and because well, well, they but, want
1: well, to make sure that people are welcomed into it. But, but
0: because churches feel like that's the way they welcome people into it.
1: Because churches feel like offering these salutations that we use in the grocery store are the same thing that people want in church. Hi, how's it going? Right. And just like you said at the beginning of this show, what does that mean? What does it mean? How is it going? How am I supposed to respond to that? Yeah, right. And the 2.5-minute <laughs> song that's playing on the piano, and I, as a visitor, am watching the pianist and the music minister to know, okay, do I need to cut off this conversation? Is it time for us to sit down yet? Do we sit down? What is coming up next? I don't know where my order of worship is. I don't know what's coming up next. And so it creates this space of actual anxiety because you don't you're not familiar with the service. Sure. Yeah, we've been to a lot of worship services, but still there was a sense of me asking our eight year old, okay, what's where's the where's the order of worship? As I'm, you know, wrestling the eight month old who didn't go to nursery because he is in this attachment phase, so you know, people so the other thing that happened is a lot of people came up and said, Oh, well, we have a nursery and I'm like, Right, but he doesn't know these people. This is our first time here that's not gonna go over well if I just leave my, my baby in the nursery for the first time. I yeah. appreciate it. But- well, I mean,
0: just I mean that on that on top of, of just being a random visitor, like I think I represent a, a large swath of very young people. <laughs> just kidding. I, I, I but I do think I, I represent a large group of, of people who wanna go worship God, but they not that they don't wanna have to interact with other people, because it's not that, but I, I want to have congregational worship. I want to have communal worship. And I, worship, I want to worship God and not make it about myself. So for me to have to go into a, a congregational setting, especially as a visitor, and, and God knows, I mean, between you and I, I mean, we, we go into a lot, a, lot of, a lot of church settings where we have to introduce ourselves, you know, every week, and, oh, hey, I'm, I'm Sam, I'm the pastor, or hey, I'm, I'm the pastor's You know, partner or whatever. And this is our kid. Yeah, he's cute. That's great. (laughs) But it's not about us. Like, I just want to go there and worship. And and that's something that I, I mean, as a Baptist, I really miss about being outside of kind of the, I guess, not even the, the higher-up church stuff, because, I mean, I've been to Methodist, Presbyterian, but to Episcopalian churches where they, they do the passing of the peace, and you're, you're expected to get up and walk around. That's frightening for a lot of people, including yeah. myself. Like, that's really hard to do, especially if you're visiting somewhere, and you're, you're exposing yourself, and you're saying, I want to worship God. And that's really hard to do. Like that's really hard <laughs> to to Especially, get up and all of a sudden shift and say, Hey, I'm Sam, yeah, work in marketing. Uh yeah, here here's my business card. How you doing? Yeah, got nice to meet you nice to meet you too. Like, good God, that's not what the I don't know. Mm. And it's
1: a but it's about us, is this a potential member? Is this a family that could add to our numbers? How much giving capacity do they really have? Can they solve our financial burdens? And i d I'm you know, I'm being sarcastic, of course, and hyperbolic. But there's a lot of pressure right now for people who are visiting churches. And so right. th- there's a sense that I got to the fourth or fifth introduction, and I would consider myself an extrovert. And so this is not as unarming to me as it might be for you, but I got a little weary of it because I I, I got to the point where I wanted to justify that I knew people who were in this church, that they had welcomed me already. I was already vetted Like, you don't need to find out my story. Just go ask this person or this person or this person, all of whom I know. We've been here before for vacation Bible school. You've let us borrow baptismal robes. Like, okay, we're not visitors, right?
0: Yeah, my favorite is it's like, uh, are you a visitor? Can you stand up?
1: Yeah, oh my gosh, that like, happened to me while I was in college. What the hell?
0: <laughs> don't, and ha- don't do that. Uh, that happens to me every time I go to a different church, especially Baptist churches. And yeah. I get it, I get it. I understand, because when a pastor looks out and they see new faces, and they say, bingo, dear diary, jackpot, I got new people here. And I got new people here because of my Facebook post, because of my awesome sermon last week, and someone told somebody... So there are new people here. So if you're a new member or if you're a new visitor, I'm sorry, not a new member, please stand up. That's
1: And introduce yourself, yeah. Oh
0: like well, not I me mean, not even introduce, but like stand up and thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. Or here's a visitor card. There's a visitor card in front of you.
1: Or a friend no wants books. to fill out it to pass down the pew.
0: No one wants to fill out a visitor. Yeah, oh, and gosh. I don't
1: want to give you my email address. I really don't because no. I know how to find information about your church.
0: Yeah do do you want to do you want someone to visit you? No, no, no I don't
1: no. want someone to come to my home. <laughs> I'm, not to my home information information. I'm not giving you my home
0: address. I'm not giving you my social security card. Like, do you want my credit ranking so I can join the church? Is that is that what you're saying? I, I just have very strong so, feelings about this.
1: So, uh, so on our daughter's uh, pin board over here. There is a card from the one day of Vacation Bible School that she went to of a big church that uh, we had a connection to. Somebody invited us, so they wanted to go check it out. It had a Minions theme. You know, they wanted to go. Well, our youngest was too young. You had to pre-register, so she couldn't go to class. So she just hung hung out with me, and we followed MH's class around because— obviously she was in a new setting and I can just remember the terror that was on her eyes until she found us in whatever class she was been taking to because basically I signed her in and I thought oh I'll be able to stay with her and they escorted me out of the room no you cannot be here we have volunteers here and I'm going "Uh, so I'm just supposed to give you my kid I'm not okay with that so we followed in the background and she got in the car and she goes I am never doing that again <laughs> because it's oh, I mean well, I don't, what was
0: her uh, what was her oh, but her the
1: point? card was a thank you for coming. We hope you'll come visit us again because I had to fill out all this registration information because I guess some parents just drop their kids off and leave and go somewhere else i i don't I don't know that's the but, whole point of. Vacation Bible
0: School, the right?
1: Vacation Bible School is a kind of you know. Y- you can either
0: go have your dinner at uh, Applebee's, or you can go get drinks at Buffalo's,
1: uh, or the Old Mill in Lexington. Sure, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: right? Which I mean, you know, I'm not going to judge, but yeah, I, I but just. But if
1: my kids were used to that, sure. I mean, I can see them guess if I knew the volunteers and that kind of thing. But for a visitor coming into this kind of environment. But I can see the kind of draw of people who want to disappear into a crowd, who don't want to be greeted, who don't want to be pointed out. It,
0: that's, it's not... Okay. That's not just people. I mean, look at things like Snapchat. I mean, there's a reason Instagram is sort of dying. And I've been going back and forth on Twitter with lots of people about this. Like, Instagram really has lost a lot of, of clout and sort of momentum that it, it had at this time last year, even. Um. And, and things like Snapchat are, are really taking off, especially with young people. And I think the the big part of that is that Snapchat is seemingly anonymous. You know, like, yes, you can make your stories and, and people can follow that, but they disappear and they go away. You know, it's not Facebook where you put up pictures of your baby and you can go back and get your reminders three years later that, oh, you posted this three years ago. You want to share it again, don't you? And And that's wonderful, but... I think for a lot of us, especially for people that are younger than me, the idea of this oversaturation of media has really started to, to take hold because our parents, not my parents, but you know, young pe- people's parents who are now 20, 25, posted so many of their pictures on things like you know Facebook or, or whatever. And things like Snapchat are really sort of becoming the way to communicate. Instead of Instagram or instead of Facebook or instead of Twitter, so when I think about a church service as you know walking in as as a millennial, if you will, uh, I, I I mean I don't want to speak for millennials because I can't. I think the idea of walking in and all of a sudden all the focus being on you and yes and, you know like yes. that's it's weird too much it's too much not not that's I mean not that it's just too much but like. That's not what they're there for, and if it is, like that seems disingenuous. Like sometimes people want to just go and worship God, and not be like called out or not to stand up or not to fill up fill out a, a, a damn visitor's card.
1: <laughs> and you know, this is one of the things I loved about visiting cathedrals in Europe—they were just open. It was yeah, it was open. And tribute, like, come in, you know, worship. Here's, come in, worship. Come for money. Right. Here's the money box, put in some money if you'd like to contribute of, to this. Light sacred a candle. Space. Here's light a candle. candle. Here's Mother, a self guided tour. Cries to me.
0: Mother Mary let it be.
1: There also are some tours that but we only offer two a day. If you're not here for that time, then you're not gonna get someone talking about you talking to you about what's here. But here's a map of it. Here's what ancient relics are here. Just explore on your own. And oh, I can remember going to visit cathedrals and not being greeted and it being such an odd experience until I got used to it and understood it wasn't an odd experience. It was a sacred experience.
0: Exactly. And you walk in and these people are singing songs and, and it, doing these things and, and there's candles and there's incense. And you're like, holy crap. Like these people give a shit. Like this,
1: And is- it wasn't like going to Chick-fil-A.
0: Right, right. It, it, it's not. Hey, I'm I'm making a sermon about you. So how are you doing? Oh, what are you yeah. feeling? How can I help you? And no, no. I'm I'm preaching the word of God, and here's what's happening. And we're we're gonna take Eucharist. We're gonna take communion. And you know what? You're gonna drink all. <laughs> you're all gonna drink out of the same cup. Like who cares about you know whatever you know disease you might have on your lip? You're you're gonna drink it out of the same cup, and we're gonna wipe it off with a little napkin. But this is the blood of Christ. And for me, like, taking because communion at St. Paul's. You.
1: It's not about you. Yeah, yeah,
0: for me, taking communion at St. Paul's was one of the most holy experiences I've ever had. And I, I did slip into St. Peter's and took communion. But
1: I was going to say, you weren't really supposed to be doing that.
0: <laughs> well, you're not I consider myself part of the church Catholic. But I, I did, you know, I mean, taking communion at St. Paul's and, and uh, you know, in Edinburgh and, and down in Vienna. like <laughs> the,
1: These people are going to come after you. you no,
0: St. Paul's can't. is not Catholic. That's Anglican.
1: I know that, and but the other ones.
0: I mean, I, I mean, it's Anglican, not Um, one, what's the one in Vienna? Anyway, ah, Ryan's going to kill me. But uh, it, 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 those were amazing experiences, and we don't get that here in the American church. And yes, the church in Europe is dying, and and whatever. But when I look at things like James Dobson, who you know is head of the Focus on the Family, and He's endorsing Donald Trump. Not to be political, because I'm not a Democrat.
1: Everything is political.
0: Right. I'm not a Democrat. But when I see people like him, like, saying, like, no, you know, this is... uh, Donald Trump best represents our evangelical um, models. Like, no! (laughs) Did you... Did you not listen? And what are we doing? Like, what's the identity? What's the identity of our church? What's the identity of your church? Um, I don't know. Like, it, it, it frustrates me to to no end to to think that these old white men at Southern Baptist are are so easily able to say. This is what it means to be an evangelical or Southern Baptist or this is, you know, uh, stand up and, 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 you know, say that, that you are visiting us because this is us and you are you. And like these identity politics things, it's not healthy. And, and if if we want to talk about the death of the church, it all goes back to that. Don't yeah, listen.
1: and I but I think on the flip side too, you'll hear some people who say they're not going back to a church because they were not welcomed. In a way that what that made them feel important. And I I you know, I kind of push back on that and say,
0: "It's church, not about you."
1: Is church about making you feel important because perhaps that's the church you need to go to.
0: Exactly. Ex- ex- exactly. So when I when I hear pastors there's a church I love, and a pastor is coming into that church and says, Hey, I'm, I'm looking at all of your faces, and I'm thinking about uh, each of you, and each Sunday I'm going to make this sermon about you. No. No, 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 no. Look, <laughs> like, that's not the point. And this is my personal opinion. What do but, I know?
1: But not, not to mention that's iso-Jesus, not exo-Jesus.
0: Well, I like, mean, uh, depending on how you interpret the text, but yeah. Just this idea of, I'm, I'm going to deliver something that I think represents you. No, like you, you go into a worship service and you go there to worship, right? Am, am am I wrong in that?
1: No, but I mean, I think in the in the current climate with the decline in churches, this is what churches are trying to figure out. You know, there's not the assumption anymore. And there's not the expectation that people are going to go to church on Sunday. They're not going to go to, I mean, they might be going to church because they're going to church with their parents. But they're, you know, for my generation, for your generation, they're not going to be here forever. And so those people who are going out of family obligation, if they don't have something there that's meaningful and that they really want to participate in, they're not going to keep going to church. They're not. And I hear this in our daughter's voices that when they say, do we have to go to church? And sure, yes, I, I said those things growing up too, but it wasn't really a question. And for me as a parent, this is something that I, I'm, I'm, for me as a pastor and as a preacher, do I force them to go to church? I, I don't know. Like that just wasn't an option in my family growing up. And did it instill in me a centrality of the importance of church? Maybe. Maybe. Did it instill in me some guilt and obligation? Definitely. You know, so what do we want to be communicating to our children? And I think that's something that a lot of us who grew up in the time period where it was an expectation that you went to church are struggling with as parents. Because we want to honor our kids' choice. We want to allow them to be their own human beings, <laughs> even, yeah. Yeah. Even, even as, you know, eight-year-olds and six-year-olds. And that's a different kind of parenting than I grew up with, but that's very intentional. And I know there are a lot of people who are millennials and Gen Xers who are, who are thinking about this, who are thinking about doing things differently.
0: Which is so fascinating. So I, I didn't, when I grew up, my family did not go to church until around uh, i was 12 i believe and we went to church primarily because i uh, my great grandmother had had passed away important member of our family clan and it was like during that funeral process that we we started going to the church to do funeral processing things and I don't know what happened, but I remember as a kid, my first 12 years of life, you know, I mean, you remember things before you were 12. Um, There there was, like, such a guilt on my
1: shoulders. Like,
0: I felt like it's weird that I'm not in church.
1: Because, because probably you had some good Southern Baptists who were trying to evangelize you.
0: No, it was the Methodists oh, no? and the Presbyterians because we lived oh. on the street from a, a, a PCA church um but then all my friends went to a methodist church uh, downtown and i i remember at this one point i'm riding my bike on a sunday morning and i, I you know it's a sunday morning like i got up and I rode my bike so i'm riding my bike and i'm like 10 11 I think you've whatever i've
1: told this story yeah
0: and and i see some like like a, a a friend his car drives by with his family not him but you know his his family's driving by on the way to church and i was like oh like I feel bad. Like I felt guilty about that. And I will never forget that kind of shame, I guess. So when we started going to prepare my great grandmother's funeral, it was very William Faulkner esque, like as I lay dying type stuff. Um I remember thinking, like, wow, we should we should be in church. So I started going to church and I started asking my mom to take me to our kind of family church and it still is like our, our family church. Um, so we started going there and my father and I were baptized on the same day when I was 13. And uh, for me, it was like, I wanted, I wanted this, like I wanted to seek this out. I wanted to see what this was about. Like, why did so many people care about this? And it it was around the same time that I found Nirvana and (laughs) enough. I started playing guitar and I started growing my hair out, and I, and I bought my pair of vans that you hate that smell bad, but I, I can still wear. Um,
1: I it, like the new pair of vans, <laughs> just not the ones from your high school. The green
0: years. ones from 1992. But it was at the same time. I'm just time.
1: saying. I mean, you got new ones now. Why keep the old ones?
0: Yeah, but it, it was the same time that, you know, mom was driving me to the roses in Marion, and I'm going to go buy the new Eric Clapton unplugged tape. And all of a sudden on the radio, I hear dun, 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 dun. And it smells like teen spirit. And that changed my life forever because all of a sudden it was like, Holy crap. Like it smells like teen spirit is an amazing song. And, and I bought that tape instead of the Eric Clapton tape and with my own money. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is, there's this whole new world. At at that exact same moment, I was finding the church. So for us and for me, it wasn't as much of, like, growing up in this tradition. It was like finding this tradition and kind of going with my parents into this tradition. So I guess I've always thought it was so unique that that you grew up in that atmosphere, uh, whereas I didn't grow up in that, but I I actively sought that out. So when I got to college and I took an Old Testament class— get it out of the way because I was a chemistry computer science major and I was taking chemistry too. And I thought, well, I'll go ahead and take this Old Testament class. I've read the Bible I know the Bible. I'm a good Southern Baptist. And I take this class and the first day I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't change my major much to my parents' chagrin from, you know, chemistry science or uh, uh, computer science and chemistry to, to religion because it was such a, a mind shift. It was It was that same experience for me. And I don't. I, I think there's a lot of people like that who aren't allowed to have those experiences because religion and Christianity, and especially Baptist Christianity, is such a
1: expectation.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like here's the bottle, you know. Here, here's the bottle of Baptist Christianity, and if you don't want to drink that, yeah, you know, maybe you're not one of us.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think this goes back to the point of the passing of the peace and these other welcoming practices, things that we believe welcome people in. And I I mean, I was a pastor, I called people out as visitors, you know, thinking that that would be welcoming to them. And in some cases, I think it was true. In other cases, I think it was probably not true and made them feel even more awkward, notably because they did not come back. (laughs) But I think that this is this. And,
0: and is, I, I, I think they didn't come back because you called them out. And I think if we stopped doing that, people would come to church because church is not about us.
1: Well, I I mean I think it, it was probably multifaceted. Well, but because uh, everything is. But I think.
0: <laughs> Sorry. I don't that
1: <laughs> stay on task. So I think one of the things. That we have to think in the changing dynamics of church that we're experiencing right now, especially in the decline, is why are we doing the things we're doing? Are, are we welcoming people because we think that that's what we should do? Are we passing the peace because that's what that's how it's always been done? Perhaps it's not the way it should be done now, and giving the consideration to the fact that generation are changing that. You know, I I, I I think again and again of our daughters who say, as we're visiting some of these churches recently, they say to me as a pastor, okay, this is the biggest church that you could pastor. Like, we don't want to go to a church bigger than this one. And that's kind of revolutionary for a lot of people to think about. But the next generation of churchgoers, I'm using that in quotation marks, or And I I really mean that because I'm not calling them Christians. I'm calling this people who are going to go to a place that has a steeple on it and call it church and call it going to church. The people who are going to do that are expecting a different experience than the people who are going to decide to go and be the church, to do church instead of go to church. And we have a shift going on. And a lot of churches, I think, don't. Understand that, or don't know how to comprehend it, or have discussions about it. And there's so many people that are coming to churches who could have these conversations or have really valuable input in these conversations, but they're being overwhelmed to the point that they don't want to come back and experience that again.
0: Exactly, and, and I think that this idea of, of saying. This is how we're going to do this because this is what we've seen, uh, you know, uh, uh, from other churches or whatever. Like there's that ripple effect, you know, where it's like, oh, well, other churches are collecting the offering this way and they're passing, you know, their gold plates this way. And it's like, why, why are we doing that? It's 2016. Good God. Stop passing a, a, a freaking gold plate through the congregation and asking for money. That's not how you're going to get money. Like, that is, that's the meaning. If people want to give money, let them give money, you know? And and that's a whole nother.
1: That's a whole nother discussion.
0: I'm sorry, that's my thing. I mean, ugh, ugh, ugh. but Ugh,
1: But there, this is a good I'm never going to get a job,
0: it, but I don't care. But that's, that's how I There's so
1: much about the way that we do church that's based on tradition and not based on purposeful and intentional worship.
0: A purposeful, intentional, and considerate worship. Yeah. Because people want to go to church and they want to worship. Let people people worship. Worship matters. Let people worship. Stop trying to impose your thoughts on on outreach, your thoughts on how people should go into your church. Stop, stop, stop. Let people worship. Just worship. Worship God on Sunday morning. And you know what? People show up because people like worshiping God. You know why? Because God's pretty awesome. So stop trying to impose all this on people, and it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, but I I mean, I think... Also, uh, this is because there's so many people who go to church regularly that haven't been in that visitor experience in a long time. And I'll admit, I hadn't been in a visitor experience in a long time, and I forgot how overwhelming and intimidating that experience of going into a church, even if you have a connection, even if you know people.
0: Especially if you have children
1: guess can be like it's God. so overwhelming because you want your kids to behave you know people are encouraging you to leave your child in the yeah, nursery take, and take you, your
0: kid back to the nursery i'm nursery. i
1: don't <laughs> want to do that i'm no. sorry I, it's right. not that i don't trust you people i just don't know the people who are in the nursery like i know other people but and i'm worried about how he's going to behave is he going to scream is he going to like just let me keep him with me so that i can not worry about that and worship You know, because he's with me and I, I know what's going on with him. But there's so many of us who haven't been that outsider, that visitor, that stranger in a community where people know each other. And when you feel that again, then you start to understand how important it is to welcome the stranger is in, how important it is to offer hospitality to strangers But hospitality and welcoming strangers in the sense that we see in the Bible is much different than, hey, how's it going?